Romans 14, verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of God. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Let's pray. Lord, we are your people, and we've just heard your word, and we thank you that you've given it to us in your great love for us. Lord, we desire to obey this, but we are weak, and so we ask for uh, the power of your spirit to help us understand it and then to apply it. And we do submit to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and uh, to your holy word. And we praise you. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have noticed in the notes that there are three points. It's just the way it worked out. I wasn't stretching it to make three points. And also to uh, have three R's uh, in there. I, I don't usually try to do that too much. It kind of worked out that way. And, uh, you know, I, I want it to be memorable. I've prayed that this would be memorable. These principles would be remembered uh, throughout the week and we would apply them. And, you know, I, I can't, like Rodney, do uh, good gestures, you know, to help you remember. I'm sorry. You know, but I did think a little, you know, like receive. I suppose you could go like that and, and uh, realize and, uh, you know, resolve. I, I don't know. But however you want to do that, if that helps you, then uh, praise the Lord. But I, I do pray uh, that you'll remember these things. This sermon, by the way, is connected. Uh, Rodney uh, prayed for the uh, conference that's coming up in two weeks. And this is connected uh, with that a little bit, but also with a sermon I shared at the end of last year, uh, which was titled, Peacemakers Pursue Peace. And that was from Romans, mostly from Romans 14, 19. And it says, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things by which one may edify another. There's two pursuits there. They happen to go together though. We pursue peace. If we're pursuing peace with one another, we will be edifying one another. And this passage helps us to understand I believe, how to pursue peace in this body in one area of our walk with the Lord. That is, in giving grace in those areas of personal, 
personal conscience and personal preference because we are called to love one another. We have differences. We're called to love one another. And this is to help us um, remember and, and prepare our minds a little bit, I hope, for this Relational Wisdom Conference. I believe some of these things that I'm going to share today will be uh, shared a little bit uh, on that day. But this sermon, this section of the Word of God, is about practicing the law of love, the law of love in the area of allowable differences. It's one of the ways that we should be pursuing peace and pursuing edification and in loving one another. Verse 1 says, receive one who is weak in the faith. Receive one who is weak in the faith. Now this expression is repeated at the end of uh, chapter 15, verse 7, uh, because this is kind of the beginning of this section, and 15.7 is kind of the end of that. So it says, receive one who is weak in the faith, and then in verse 15.7, it says, and it concludes this section, and it says, therefore, receive one another. So we'll be looking at what's in between there. But receive one another just as Christ also received you to the glory of God. We're to receive, we're to receive one another. And so the standard of acceptance in the body of Christ among us here, the standard by which we must accept one another is how we were received by God through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We were received in great love. We were received in God's love, even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins. But God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And so we too are to demonstrate the love of God that he has poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. We are to demonstrate that uh, and love one another in this area, this particular area, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who enables us then to love sacrificially. We can't do that without the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord in love received us forever as members of his family. And so as fellow members here, we are called to receive one another. Now receive here means welcome, uh, it means accept. Some other versions say accept. Uh, this was one of the one another's that we looked at uh, a long time ago, in 2015, I believe it was, to, to accept one another, certainly to love one another. So if the holy God has received our brother and sister, your brother and sister in the Lord, who are we to not receive them and not accept them? Even if we have some differences over what is called here doubtful things, things in scripture that can be challenging uh, to agree on and to uh, that have cause us to have different uh, practices. And they're not as clear to everybody at the same time, uh, even for centuries sometimes it turns out. Second Peter 3 tells us that some points of scripture are harder to understand than others. And we are not to dispute about these things. Even if we have differences, they're not, not supposed to cause a dispute over these doubtful things, those areas of faith that are not as clear. And so these must be studied, brothers and sisters, we must study these things. We must think them out. We thought, you know, have thought about this because these matters of conscience, these are matters of conference, conscience. I'm sorry, and personal conviction. So we have to think out what those are. Now, Phil, in his booklet, and I don't have any extra ones. Uh, everyone who's a member here should have at least one of those. And you'll notice on the back of the notes, the cover is there. I'll refer to it in a minute. But Phil, in that booklet, in this booklet said this, he, right in the beginning of it, he said, dialogue and debate with each other on these issues is appropriate, but charity and patience should be exercised. Amen. And I praise the Lord that in general, in, in this church, we do dialogue well on these things. We know that we should, and we can. 
And we do it mostly with charity, I believe, and with patience. But this sermon is a call to us to do that even more so. Now, beginning in verse 2, Paul gives an example. He starts by giving an example, which uh, the Christians in that day were wrestling with, and it was causing division. And this caused Paul to write this exhortation by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and to command us, too, to accept one another in love, especially the one who is more mature in the faith and in their understanding of the liberty that they have in the gospel, to accept the weaker brother or sister who do not have that same understanding, at least yet. We're all at various stages of growth. And we must give grace to each other as we are growing together. Now, the mature Christian or the strong brother is considerate and able to allow and accept others' freedoms of, freedom of conscience and the way those are practiced. Verse 2 says, For one believes he may eat all things, but the other ones, the weak one eats only vegetables. Now, the weak ones here may have been the, the Jewish Christians who were still thinking they needed to uh, keep certain dietary laws, but whoever they were, they thought that they must not eat meat and, or at that time. There may have, may have been their, they may have had their reasons. They had scruples. They had scruples about this that were no longer necessary uh, in the freedom of the gospel. Verse 3 says, let not him who eats then, basically, despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. God has received both. God has received the weaker brother. The stronger brother should not act in, in this proud way. But both serve the Lord as their master. Both are received by him, and we should not despise ever. We should not look down on our brother or sister because of their different understanding of these doubtful matters. So if God receives him, who is weak, in this case, those who think they must be vegetarians because of certain dietary regulations, number, verse 4 says, Who are you then to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Matthew Henry said, We usurp the place of God when we take upon us to judge the thoughts and intentions which are out of our view. In other words, out of our view, he means we don't quite understand where they're coming from, maybe, or agree with their actions based on their conscience. But we must be very careful not to judge another servant of the Lord, his master and our master. The Lord can and will cause this brother to stand by his grace and to grow. And sometimes I think we don't maybe believe this. We don't believe the Lord will do this maybe sometimes. We don't say it probably. We'd never say it, but uh, we don't believe that, you know, ah, you know, they're, they're, they're going to fall. I better do something. Yes. Uh, we'll talk about that in a minute, but and so maybe we go beyond the bounds of love sometimes and we seek in our own strength, that is, or our own knowledge, or our own ability to convince somebody to change. And we try to change someone. We try to make them stand. Last week, Rodney shared from Jude 1. He often shares this as the benediction. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able to keep, you, keep us from falling. In Philippians 1, Paul was confident, he said, that he who had begun a good work in the people in Philippi uh, would complete it. And then the benediction of, of this book, this letter, Romans, verse, uh, in chapter 16, 
Paul says, now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He establishes us. He uses us, of course, in each other's lives, but the Lord establishes us. He is able to uh, strengthen the weak. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceptive or deceitful above all things and desperately corrupt. Who can understand it? So we can't understand our own hearts. Um, who are we to judge and condemn another? We, we even less so, we probably understand their heart. And so I have some questions here I want to ask. First of all, are you willing to give your fellow members of the family of God here time? Time to grow, time to learn, and to allow the Holy Spirit to work in them and to pray for them in this process. And trust in their master to make them able to stand because he is able. Second question, are you willing yourself? Are you willing to grow yourself and to be open to what the word teaches on the particular issue of difference you might be having? If you feel that you must try to convince them of their, of their correctness of your conviction or your practice, are you doing that in love for them and in patience? Or do you feel compelled to change them to support your conviction rather than sharing from the word in love in a timely manner to help them grow in this issue, on this issue, and their understanding of the gospel that, that uh, pertains to this issue. Well, frankly, I believe if you have to do that, if, you have to, if you're compelled to uh, change someone, I would wonder if you really have a clear conviction of your own, con in your own conscience, your own, if you're not clear in your own mind, you have, don't have a clear conscience. And I, I think I would also doubt that you have been praying for them, which really is how we show our true love and our true concern for our, our brothers and sisters. If they are weak, if there's ways that I can help them, may that be so, but we should be praying for them. Romans uh, 14, down a little more, uh, verses 10 and 12 says, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow. All of us, every tongue shall confess to God. So then it says, each of us shall give account of himself to God. So we will give account to the Lord for any disrespect, any contempt for a brother or sister in Christ, whether that be actually said in word or in our thoughts, um, certainly in our actions also. So for our pride, and any judgmental attitude, we have to come before the Lord about that. And may the Lord keep us from this here, and may we confess it quickly, may we deal with it quickly, and may we confess to our brother and sister in Christ and to the Lord. Romans 15.1 says, we then who are strong are to bear with the scruples of the weak. Now, scruples, if you don't know, that word isn't used as much nowadays, but scruples mean it's a reluctance or a hesitancy to act on the grounds of uh, our conscience. We just struggle with that. You know, I have scruples against this or that. So we then who are strong ought to bear with, that's another one of the one another's we studied several years ago, we're to bear with one another. We're to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves, it says. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. So we should bear with their scruples. We should be patient with them and seek to encourage them and, and to build them up, to build them up in the Lord. 
John Murray said, avoid provocations, meaning, you know, don't provoke. This, we can really provoke each other, I think, sometimes. But he said, avoid provocations which would befall the weak. That means that would cause them to stumble. Avoid provocations which would befall the weak if their scruples were made the subject of analysis and dispute. That would be very unloving. As, as I said in Romans 14, 19, it says, we're to pursue the things which make for peace. So we must have a desire for peace in the body. You must have a desire for peace in this body. And then pursue the things by which one may edify another or build others up. We're supposed to be always thinking about, am I involved in this pursuit? Am I pursuing peace myself? Am I a peacemaker in this body? And am I pursuing edification? Am I really doing that? So we should pursue edification. In other words, and it says, the way it phrases it here is, we please the other person. We please our neighbor for his good. We think of them by lovingly bearing with each other's differences. And I believe we will be edified individually and in this part of the body of Christ. This part of the body of Christ will be edified also if we seek the good of our brother and sister above our own. Seeking peace allows edification to happen. That's the climate where edification really happens. So we should take time to pray that the Holy Spirit would guide them into the Word and then allow the Spirit to guide them. And of course, the Holy Spirit may use us uh, in part of that process in sharing the Word. If we don't receive one another, though, if we uh, don't accept each other in love, we are breaking the law of love, to love each other as the Lord has loved us. Of all the one another's, to love one another is the most often commanded. And then we must try, second point, we must try to understand where we're at, you know, what we believe the scriptures teach on some of these matters, and I'll refer to them in just a minute, a few of them. Holding to our understanding in faith, it must be held in faith, while giving grace to others who are not ready to accept this certain liberty that we have. So we're to realize our own convictions, and it says here we're to be fully convinced in our own minds. Not just a little bit, be fully convinced in your own mind, and that let others have their convictions, let them develop their convictions. Now, of course, as I said, you can share lovingly what you, why you hold these convictions, you know, what scripture bears, uh, helps you to understand uh, these practices, but, but certainly you should not, we never should condemn each other, look down on each other. If, if they are not as strong in you as understanding this uh, liberty that we have in the gospel in a certain area. Matthew Henry said, we are all apt to make our own views the standard of truth, to deem things certain which to others appear doubtful. We are all apt to do that. So we have to be aware of that. We have to be cautious. And so here are a few areas. I'm just going to read them off. Uh, this would be, some of these would be listed in the purple circle on the back of the notes. Uh, here's just a few. And I was thinking of highlighting a few of these, but I, I, there's no time to do that. I think I won't do that. So first of all, modesty and dress. In this congregation, we have some differences there, some different convictions. Education methods. Praise the Lord, we believe in the role of the uh, parents in education, but there are many methods, allowable, effective, Depends on the child, those kind of things. Drinking of alcohol, you know, how much, when, what kind, if at all. Discipline of children. How do we discipline them? 
holidays, like Christmas, especially Christmas. This reminded me, uh, when Cherry and I lived back up in Oakland, uh, there was a young Christian couple there, we got to know them, and almost the first thing they asked us, it was kind of like the litmus test as to whether or not we're really believers, was, do you do anything at Christmas time? You know? And yeah, yeah, that, that was, I would, okay, they're a little weaker on that issue. It, 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 to them, that was it. That was the big question. And so, holidays like Christmas, reading habits. Okay, what kind of books do you read? Do you allow your children to read? And okay, I have a confession here. I love to read Louis L'Amour Western novels. Okay, I just told you, you can't judge me for that. <laughs> so whether you were going to, I don't know, but... Uh, hey, I could justify it by saying, you know, Louis Limmer novels, you know, the good guy always wins, beats the bad guy, and uh, they're pretty, they're clean books, and they really like the Second Amendment. So, okay, anyway. <laughs> so, reading habits, and then health care. We, we have different, in this body, we have uh, differences of how we're going to do that. Uh, finances and debt. Entertainment, it's a big one. You know, what kind of movies will we see? If they go to certain movies, we think, whoa, okay, well, let's talk about it. Uh, what kind of music do you, do you listen to? How you vote. So your political persuasion. Okay, I'm not going to ask hands for Ron Paul or anything at this point. You know, right? This is not, shouldn't do that. Uh, courtship, betrothal, dating. Okay, we have, there, we have differences in how we go about those things. Conception control. Head coverings. And the last one here, Sabbath day practices. Now we read this morning the Shorter Catechism. And the question was, how is the Sabbath to be sanctified? A very good question. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about your convictions on this question? You should. Because the answer is, the Sabbath is to be sanctified. We believe that here. It's to be set aside. It's, it's the Lord's day. But it says it's to be sanctified by a holy resting all that day. What does that mean? And then it says, even from such worldly employments and recreations as are lawful on other days. What does that mean? What are, what are worldly employments? What are recreations? And spending the whole time in the public and private exercises of God's worship. What does that mean? That's quite a statement there. You may not even agree with that. There are proof texts, by the way, in the confession. You should look at those. So, except so much as to be taken up in the works of necessity and mercy. What does that mean? You as a family, you as an, an individual, and especially in your family, should be discussing these things. Now, another example of a difference between brothers at the time of this letter was written in verse 5. It says, one person esteems one day above another. So in other words, this day was special uh, to them, and it should be observed in a certain way to them. But another esteems every day alike. They're all the same, basically, probably, except the Lord's day. And then it says, let each be fully convinced in his own mind shouldn't waver. Some people observed the Jewish festivals, some did not. Uh, the Judaizers wanted Gentile Christians to keep uh, some or uh, some of the laws and practices that were no longer necessary after the coming of the Lord. Now related to this, Paul wrote Galatians 4, verses 10 and 11. How is it, he's telling the Galatians, he's kind of hurt here. He said, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements, the things you don't have to do, to which you desire again to be in bondage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. And even though these practices were not necessary though, uh, verse six says, he who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, 
to the Lord, he does not observe it. Now, it's possible that both here are acting in faith to please God. Now, we may not like that. We may not be comfortable with that seeming discrepancy, but we should rejoice in either case that the Lord is glorified. And that should be our delight. And then it goes on, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Both people are giving thanks to God in their practices. And in many areas, it is a process, I believe, as we develop our understanding and our practices. And we are not all at the same place, as I mentioned before. We're not all at the same level of maturity or understanding of these things. We do need to be people of the word, all of us. We need to give grace to each other also uh, as the Lord through the spirit in his word causes us to grow. For none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. Now convictions can change, of course. You might find that someday that you have been the weaker brother, the one who is weak in faith and practice. So some are weak and some are strong, but none of us lives to himself anymore. We are commanded to grow in our love together, to please the other rather than ourselves and to help them and to practice our convictions as unto the Lord, not to please men. Now we are not to please ourselves primarily. We're not, that isn't supposed to be our main focus, especially at the, at the expense of others. But we are called here, it says, to please the Lord and do whatever we do as unto the Lord. You might not have noticed, but there's six times there it said, do these things as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23, many of you know this, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. And one way we practice our convictions as unto the Lord is to obey the command to love one another and to give grace to each other in these matters, to accept one another. So seek to be clear in your own convictions, I urge you. Um, work through that list. There are others. But be convinced that you can live them out biblically and do so to please the Lord and not to harm your brothers and sisters. And we should each also be teachable. We should be humble enough to continue to learn ourselves, even if we're fully convinced at, at this point. We're fully convinced. We, we're all commanded to be teachable. We can all learn new things. And we should be willing to examine or re-examine our own convictions and submit them to the Lord again. They should be submitted to the Lord. Verse 18 says, For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So again, God accepts us. And as we seek to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, imperfectly as we do that, we all do that. And so we should accept one another. It says in verse 15, If your brother is grieved because of your food... In other words, what you ate, you had a conviction, oh, I can eat this. If your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. You are just not walking in love. So if you said, for example, or you thought, for example, uh, oh, I have liberty to eat, and he can just deal with it. You, know, you wouldn't say this, I, I hope. They can just deal with it. You know? You're not walking in love. You're, you're being destructive, actually. Verse 15 says, do not destroy. He goes on, do not destroy with your food, the one for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be spoken of as evil, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So kingdom matters are about the growth of the character of the king in us by the Holy Spirit. 
And this passage we're looking at today is reminding us to relate in the righteousness and to relate in the peace and to relate in the joy that we have together in the Holy Spirit. These are the blessings of being in the kingdom of God together. That should be our focus. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit cause growth in the kingdom. Not the making of laws, not more ceremonies or whatever, not, not making those practices the main things necessarily. We should not think certain practices are more important than the fruit of the Spirit, than walking in the Spirit and giving love. Now, a few thoughts on liberty of conscience. I just want to inject that here. Um, okay, question. Uh, can you think, or okay, who is the, the famous Christian who said, my conscience is captive to the Word of God? Martin Luther, okay. Martin Luther said that. In fact, he was uh, in, in a trial. He was being condemned, probably going to be condemned, for seeking to obey the Word of God rather than ceremonies and traditions and practices that were not uh, necessary or biblical. And the Confession, chapter 20, is, is about conscience. I would recommend, if you have not read this for a while, it's not a big section. The title of it is, Of Christian Liberty and Liberty of Conscience. Wonderful to review that. I was greatly blessed by reviewing this personally because it begins and it says the liberty which Christ has purchased for believers under the gospel consists in, and there's a list there. That's an awesome list. I was just moved to read. It's it's wonderful. You should read that list. Okay, but about halfway through, there's this list and then it says, but under the New Testament, the liberty of Christians is further enlarged. If it, the ones before you had already awed you. It says, but under the New Testament, liberty of Christians is further enlarged in their freedom from the yoke of the ceremonial law to which the Jewish church was subjected, and I referred a little bit to that, and in greater boldness of access to the throne of grace and in fuller communications through the Spirit of God than believers under the law did ordinarily partake of. We should praise God. But then it goes on. This is my main point, actually. God alone is Lord of the conscience. God alone is Lord of the conscience and has left it free from the doctrines and commandments of men. He has left it free from that. So praise God that the Lord of love is the Lord of my conscience, the Lord of your conscience. You are not the Lord of my conscience. I love you, but you are not. And I'm not the Lord of your conscience. Husbands, you're not the lords of your wife's conscience. Praise God that we have a Lord who, who loves us and, and he knows perfectly. He helps us to grow in this area in, in developing our conscience. Now, at the end of this, it talks about an implicit faith, uh, meaning that you just do something, somebody tells you to do it, you do it, you don't know why you're doing it. Uh, an implicit faith. And then it says, an implicit faith and an absolute and blind obedience is to destroy liberty of conscience and reason also. It destroys your conscience and reason. G.I. Williamson, I love this quote. I should memorize this. This is in the study guide of the, uh, the confession, the Westminster Confession. G.I. Williamson said, it has been said that there is a pope in every man's heart. We are all tempted to think that we could improve our fellow Christian if we had charge of their conscience. <laughs> That's very full of pride, but I think it's fairly common. But only God has that kind of wisdom and love. At the end of Romans 14, Paul asked this simple question, do you have faith? 
Meaning, do you have a conviction based on the word of God and you hold it by faith and it's, you have it to please the Lord? Do you have that? Do you have faith? And then he said, have it to yourself before God. Go ahead, have it. And then he said, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Indeed. It is indeed a happy state to have a conscience at peace, to not be conflicted, tossed about, to not act in doubt, but in joy. You're acting in joy to please the Lord. Verse 23 says, he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is sin. And so we should lovingly let each other act in faith, even if that faith appears to be the mustard seed kind to us, and not push them too hard, not push them too fast. And so maybe push them to act in doubt. And, and so sin, they would sin because they had, didn't act in faith. You, you maybe push them to do that. And without faith, we know it is impossible to please God. So I'd like to add here that I've been referring mostly here to um, this in the body as we relate here as a church family. But these principles also apply, excuse me, apply to our relationships in our individual families. Sherry and I have learned that our children, as our children are growing to adulthood, or are mostly grown to adulthood, that they didn't always share our convictions. We could see that. We understood that. It was, yeah, at first, I think it was a little hard. I think, you know, uh, we wondered if, well, maybe we didn't pass things on as well as we could have. But these are convictions they had on their own as adults from the Word of God. But as parents, I think we need to realize that our children may develop convictions in areas of personal conscience and preference, somewhat different from ours. You might get ready for that if you have young ones. Especially after establishing, you know, when they establish their own homes and they're married, even, even more so, Sherry and I have uh, let them do that, let them develop those things. If they want to ask, that's great. And we'll share lovingly. They probably know what we would say. In fact, yeah, they, they probably do know what we'd say, but so even as adults living in our home, we have some of our sons still living in our home, we give grace. And hopefully uh, those, in those situations, there's still respect for authority. There's still honor to their parents. Otherwise, then you have another, you have another issue. But, but we shouldn't be hurt by these things, I think, or get upset or feel we failed. Uh, but we should talk them out. should talk them out to our, you know, I don't know when you start that, but it should be part of the process in raising godly children. And so we must now love and respect each other as Christian adults. That takes a little getting used to, by the way. Accept one another and realize our own convictions and seek to understand theirs and where they're coming from. And so now, would you please look at the back of the notes, the picture uh, the, in color there. This is the, the cover again of Belief, Liberty, and Mutual Respect. Now lo- note the line that is pointing to the right. Note that line, and it says at the top, defend with decreasing dogmatism. Dogmatism means, you know, you're really adamant and you're strong, you're very strong in asserting your belief, okay? So uh, as, as your elders, that's what we are seeking to practice. And then it says, grant others increasing liberty to differ, kind of the same, saying the same thing in a way. So we grant others, I've been calling upon that here, grant others increasing liberty to differ from us in matters of personal conscience and personal preference. And in that book, page one again, Phil said, remember that good people will always have some differences 
until heaven. To insist on total agreement on everything is to insist on heaven before it's time. Agree. We might be really disappointed if we think that's going to happen. Now, Phil continued, this is our, he's meaning the, the leadership of the church. This is our feeble but sincere attempt to give members maximum liberty to believe as their conscience is led and still have sufficient unity to be a Gideon's army. We want a Gideon's army. That's going forward in love. It gives each other grace. If you look at that in the middle of the red, the Christian core there, it's not, that is not so much about liberties, but about the core of the gospel, the basic beliefs of what it means to be a Christian. And your elders will be dogmatic, I think, at that point. Now, it goes on in the second, the blue circle, uh, the members' commitments. Those are uh, explained in our membership booklet, and uh, we believe they're scriptural, we have scriptures related to it. And sometimes affirmation to that just takes a little time. Uh, it's a matter of teaching, a matter of awareness, maybe. Understanding what is biblical membership. Many people who have joined her, membership was very loose at the previous church. It didn't talk about it much. Uh, about what it means to covenant as a body. That kind of membership. And then the leadership commitments, uh, those may not be held by all members, but uh, in this church, I'll tell you, in this church, your leaders have pledged agreement in these, and we are unified in these. And this, of course, you probably figured this out, it kind of defines what kind of church we're going to be, in a sense, what kind of leadership you're going to have, and what your leaders' convictions are. They're not all there, but a fair number are. I believe that churches that aren't growing in giving love in areas of liberty, if they're not even discussing it, they don't even talk about it, they're not even aware of their own convictions, maybe. And they make laws rather than, than give liberty. Are probably churches that are going to be uh, weak in Ephesians 4.3 says, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. They're going to be very weak in that, I believe. And they will not, I believe, have true peace anyway. It'll be kind of a forced peace. Yeah, there's kind of a peace because people leave probably, but you know, you know, they're likely to have more division, I believe. Okay, okay. so let's say then that you, you're convinced you have reasonable convictions on, in some matter based on the word of God, as far as you understand now, and you're living them out in love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. And because you love the Lord Jesus, you want to obey him. The next section is, is about being resolved to do something. We must, I'll skip that. Well, because each of us shall give account of himself to God, we must remember that we're uh, all come before the judge of all the earth. Verse 13 says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. This resolve, I believe, is what Christians do in our love for our brethren. It's what we do. Resolve here means to make a firm decision, uh, to be determined not to put a stumbling block in front of a brother, something that would hurt them, not to do something which will cause them to stumble or fall in their faith. We have to decide this. That's what a resolution means. We have to decide it and then be committed to it. And then we must ask the Lord to help us uh, keep this resolution. This is an illustration in Japan. I was in Japan nine years. And I learned very quickly that uh, I was teaching English as a second language. And uh, every night, these guys wanted to go out and drink. 
uh, and talk, speak English. I guess sometimes they got actually better speaking English uh, when they had too much. But anyway, so I learned very quickly. I think probably the first time I went, they, there's a glass smaller than this one. And, you know, they would pour out some beer in that thing, put it, you know, give it to me. And eh, okay, I'll drink a little bit of that. Well, if I drank it all, they'd fill it up. And it, it was their job to fill it up. And uh, they really wanted me to drink it too. And, uh, but I, I didn't really want to do that. And I was there one time and, and we went out and there was about five or six of us. And there's a young man over here, a young businessman. These are businessmen, I, a young businessman. I knew he was a believer. I didn't quite know where he stood, but I knew in Japan, I don't know if I'd ever met a Christian who didn't have a strong view that alcohol is sin. And so I realized I, I can't, I'm not going to take, uh, I'm not going to drink. And so I told them that. And in Japan, you have to realize you're breaking wa. Wa means harmony. The last thing you want to do in Japan. And in fact, they have an expression that says the nail that sticks, get, the, the nail that sticks out gets pounded down. And that's really true in their society. If you stick out, like if, if that young man had said, no, I'm not going to drink, and he probably would have, but he would have, there's a great cost to him to do that. And for me, uh, you know, I'm a foreigner. They don't care what I do. They're, ah, he's a foreigner. If he doesn't want to drink, that's okay. But for him, it would have been very hard. I think he would have been hurt if I had uh, gone ahead and done that. He, he maybe he would have felt that I was just not being a good witness of the Lord. Uh, he would have been hurt. Personally, uh, he would have been saddened, maybe. Or, as we're looking in this passage, he might have given in and drank, because I did, without trying to understand, you know, why I did, maybe. And, and he would be the only one not drinking, actually. You know, it would really be hard. If I drank, he would have been the only one not drinking. Everybody would have a little bit been on his case. And there's a huge pressure to fit in there. And so I would have caused possibly him to stumble by putting pressure on him to drink against his conscience. And I'm almost sure, in fact, maybe, I don't remember, that was a long time ago, but I think basically uh, that was confirmed later. Now, I have a conviction regarding the drinking of alcohol in small amounts and at certain times uh, that it's not against the law of God to do so. But to have exercised my liberty in front of my brother there would have been breaking, I believe, the law of love. And to do something which you have freedom of conscience and liberty to do in a way that hurts your brother and sister in Christ is not pursuing peace. Not, you're, you're not pursuing peace in this matter. It, it's probably prideful and it's pursuing personal glory possibly. And we should remember that we will give account of this to God. And that ought to wake us up, giving account of these things before the living God. We will give, each give account to God if due to a lack of love, we cause a brother to fall. May it not be so. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? Albert Barnes, this, this is a great quote. Albert Barnes, in his commentary on James 4, he said this, we set up our own standards or our own interpretations, and then we judge others for not complying with them, when in fact, they may be acting only as the law of the word, the Christianity, he says, properly understood would allow us to do. And then he says, they who set up a claim to a right to judge the conduct of others 
should be certain that they understand the nature of the gospel themselves. It may be presumed, he said, unless there is evidence to the contrary, that others are as conscientious as we are, and it may commonly be supposed that they who differ from us have some reason for what they do and may be desirous of glorifying their Lord and Master, and that they may possibly be right. It is commonly not safe, he said, to judge hastily. So a judgmental spirit usually comes out in the way that we speak about others uh, with critical words to them or about them. That would be gossip. And God knows when we think those, in those ways about a, a servant of his. He knows that. Galatians 5, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 Corinthians 10. I just want to relate a little bit of those. Galatians 5.13 is a key cross-reference. Paul was talking about love being the fulfillment of the law just before he taught about the fruit of the Spirit, the first of which is to love. And he said in verse 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty, liberty in the gospel, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. 1 Corinthians 8 says, Food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. Verse 9, Beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block or a cause of offense to those who are weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge, in other words, you are the stronger, I suppose. You have an awareness of scripture that uh, enables you to practice that way. It says, for any, if anyone sees you who have knowledge of scripture, uh, knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? Would have been kind of like my Japanese friend. And later, 1 Corinthians 8, when you thus sin against the brethren, you wound their weak conscience. It's possible that we wound our brothers in that case. And it says, if we do that, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, Paul said, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. He's willing to do that for the rest of his life, if necessary. So Paul denied himself what he in liberty of conscience could have eaten in order not to harm or to wound or cause a brother to stumble or maybe push them to go against their weaker conscience. In other words, he resolved, like I'm urging us to do, he resolved not to sin against a brother by exercising his liberty in, a, in an unloving way. He'd made that resolution. And then he said this, all things are lawful for me, this is Paul, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So he could do a lot of things in freedom but they may not be helpful and they may not edify. And then he said, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You know, Philippians 2.4, look not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. But I'd like to finish by just thinking for a second in Roman, uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And this tells us, I believe, the value of our actions and our words if we break the law of love, if we are not acting in love. So it starts off, you all know this, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. 
So you can, you can be really eloquent and gifted in using words and in speaking and in debating or convincing people of your stand. But if that's not done in love, it could be as pleasant and as helpful as a clanging cymbal. And then it goes on. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing, it says. So you may be, again, be very gifted. You may have a sharp mind and an ability to grasp uh, some of these hard things of scripture uh, that I mentioned. You may have very strong and a secure faith, praise the Lord, and you may have strong convictions. But if applied without love, it just shows that all you have, all you've been given really, it doesn't make you that great. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you may be very generous, and you should be with your material wealth that God has given you. And you may help many people, and you should. You may even sacrifice your time and even your life. But again, if not done in love for the Lord Jesus and for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you really won't gain. So brothers and sisters in Christ, let's accept one another, including our differences allowed uh, by Scripture. Let's keep learning as fellow servants of one master. And let's work to understand our own convictions and let others have theirs and develop in theirs while we seek to understand them and lovingly share from the word with them. And let's resolve not to judge or condemn each other for allowable differences. Don't let yourself do that even in your thoughts. And that we wouldn't seek to push others to act in a way that would harm them, that might cause them to deny their conscience and possibly cause them to stumble. Brothers and sisters, the Lord has accepted us in love. May we in his family here do the same with each other. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you that you do love us. You love us greatly so much that you would pay the penalty for our sin. And because you love us so much, our Father in heaven, you sacrificed our Lord Jesus to redeem us, and now you have made it possible in the Spirit for us to love one another, to be in your family together. And we pray that we would accept one another, Lord, even in our differences, that we would come to have clear and biblical convictions, and that we would give grace to each other, and that we would resolve to act in love so as never to cause another to stumble. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of love. Amen.